Welcome to this episode of Coogee Voice. Today we're talking with Sheridan Jones, reality TV star from The Single Wives, social media strategist and the sugar-free mum blogger. Today we're going to be talking about the challenges of being a single mum in the eastern suburbs, what it takes to be an influencer and what it was like being a reality TV star. I understand women being a single mum who works and has started her own business. I've been there. So if I can help someone else, particularly with social media and digital marketing, then I will. Photos of children, even if sharing them on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, anywhere where they're putting them, the wrong people can easily access those accounts, particularly if they're open, and they can use their photos for their own purposes, which are illegal. I'm a big believer in these apps that are now coming out where you can lock your children's phones. They also limit the amount of screen time they can have a week. Um, They determine what hours they can use the phone and literally everything disappears off their device so they can't access anything. Sheridan, welcome to Coogee Voice. Now, I don't know where to start. You're a single mum, you're a reality TV star from The Single Wives, a social media strategist, you've got the sugar-free mum blog with over 51,000 followers, and now you're working with a group of women in a startup with The Lightning Rod and Hotel Social. Let's just start. What do you love about the eastern suburbs? The community, definitely. I absolutely I love how everybody's just there for each other. I think when you live in an area like the East, you very quickly immerse yourself in what's going on. And I used to own a coffee shop in Coogee, which made me connect with so many people. And I've kept those friendships the whole time I've lived there. So what made you move to the Eastern Suburbs? I was brought up in Brisbane. And when I came back to Sydney, when I was in high school, we lived in the Shire. Now, The Sutherland Shire is a unique place. I often refer to it as the Stepford Wives because it's kind of a bit like that movie. Um, And when I got married to my first husband who lived in Cronulla, uh, we decided to move to the east. It was just a natural transition for us. It had the beaches. It had the security that we really wanted. We are both commuting to the city every day. We wanted to be closer. And by that stage, we'd also had our children. And so we came over. We started in Ramwick and ended up in Coogee. Wonderful. Let's start by talking about your sugar-free mum blog, over 51,000 followers. Where did it start? Sugar-free mum started, and I love to talk about it because a lot of people think that you build a following through advertising and boosting on Facebook. I have never run anything. This is all organic for me. I started it because my children had chronic eczema and I was looking for a way to heal it. And I found that if I cut their sugar down, it made an immense difference to their autoimmune system and it calmed the eczema. So that's it was really a frustrated mum looking for other people to share what I was doing and see if it worked for other people or what they were doing that I could use. And it became massive. Um, so I think at the moment there's about 51,000 followers on Facebook, but then we've got Instagram, um, LinkedIn and the actual blog blog subscribers sits at around 40,000 at the moment of email addresses. So I've never done anything with it. I just, I'm just me. Having said that, I've been threatened legal action when I wrote about a certain fast food outlet and their lies about their products. I've been threatened death threats. 
um, when I went through a divorce from the Bible Belt in the States. So it's not all people think when you have a popular blog or Facebook page, it's all fun and flowers. It's certainly not that way. I would say several times a week I get abusive messages about something. Um, people are very safe and secure with sugar and they really don't like being called out that potentially it's not that great. Um, and I'm not strict at all. I drink alcohol. I love a wine. I eat like anyone. But yeah, some people are very, very passionate about the way they, they live and they bring it out on social media. There's a lot of trolls out there with not much to do. A lot of keyboard warriors out there and I am a victim of it as well occasionally. But what do you think has been the success then about Sugar Free Mum? I think because I'm so authentic on it. Like I share everything on that page, on the Facebook page. At the moment, I'm doing an experiment with some diets because a few people that follow me said, how can I lose weight in the new year? And I thought, well, I'll do a column about this, a blog series. So I've done intermittent fasting. This week I started keto. And the next one is I'm doing a session with Wim Hof, the Iceman, to see if that works. So I am... I live and breathe what I write about. It's certainly not for the money and it's not for the followers. I literally do it because I love it. How do you find the time to do this? You're a social media strategist. You've just started up with a group of another amazing women with Lightning Rod. Tell us a bit about Lightning Rod, why you've got involved. Lightning Rod Agency, their CEO, Kim um, approached me. She was actually one of the senior media people for the Greens and she approached me, saw me on the internet, loved what I was writing about, about coming in to work with her. And we really support very well-known entrepreneurs in the US, but also women here in Australia who are working in their own businesses. We only work with women and that's what I loved. So our whole ethos is brilliant women supporting brilliant women. And it's what we do all day long. So we really build women's businesses with them. One of our clients hit US $100,000 revenue in January in the month. It's mind-boggling. When women work together, what you can do for each other. And so that's why I joined Kim and her team. So there might be some people that might criticise women only working together and that's not diversity. What would you say to that? I've worked in the boys club. I was in investment banking for a long time. And I would say that a lot of those industries really migrate towards men. So nothing's really flagged about that. I don't see an issue with it. For me, I understand women being a single mum who works and has started her own business. I've been there. So if I can help someone else, particularly with social media and digital marketing, then I will. Um, with Working with men is wonderful, but I do think women have much more limited opportunity of working with a women-only team. You've just touched on the fact that you are a single mum. What are the challenges of being a successful single mum living in the eastern suburbs? My daughter goes to St Clair's Waverley and that is a wonderful school. I have to say the schools in the eastern suburbs are amazing. They have been very supportive, particularly when I was on TV her school was so supportive of that, whereas a lot probably wouldn't have been. Um, but bringing kids up in the eastern suburbs is, look, it's safe. My son goes to South Coogee Public. He'll start at Waverley College next year. And it's a safe community. They know everybody from my involvement from being around the area. And um, bringing them up, it's like anywhere in the world these days. With social media, that's one side of my job that's not great 
is seeing what goes on with social media and children. With social media, though, they are exposed to a lot more things than what we would have been exposed to when we were younger. And so parenting in 2020 is much different as my mother tells me to parenting in the 80s. However, I'm still not sure if that's purely because they weren't exposed to it. It's like the Daily Mail. We probably wouldn't have cared about coronavirus until the Daily Mail started putting it on every five minutes, and I think that's the same with kids. So as a single mum, as a social media strategist, is there any advice that you could give parents around social media and kids? A couple of weeks ago, my children's father and I created a contract on social media for our kids to sign because we were starting to get a little bit, I would say, irritated slash concerned by the amount of time they were spending on their phones. I think when you have small children, you pray for the day where the kids don't want to speak to you and go into their bedrooms. But when you get there, you start to think, what are they actually doing in the bedroom? And so we uh, created a social media contract, which we... The kids signed, not willingly, but they signed it. And I also applied a lock called Our Pact onto both phones. So at 10 o'clock now at night time, their phone dies. And I control that because I, you just don't know what goes on in their bedrooms at night. And I posted the contract on my website and Sugar Free Mum's Facebook page and it went bananas. I was really surprised by how many other parents are concerned about their kids' social media, not just usage, but the sorts of people that have access to their social media accounts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And on a previous episode, we interviewed Yaz London about this, and there's Mm. been thousands of uh, downloads around this. It is actually a huge concern for parents out there seeking this kind of information and they're concerned about it. Well, we had an incident last year in our family where the federal police were involved and I actually asked them to come over and speak to my kids about the sorts of things they see from children's social media and it was absolutely eye-opening to watch these police talk. Can you give me some examples? Photos of children, even if sharing them on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, anywhere where they're putting them, the wrong people can easily access those accounts, particularly if they're open and they can use their photos for their own purposes, which are illegal and a lot of times send them overseas for other activity. That's what the kids need to be really, really aware of. I think we spend a lot of time coaching our children not to respond to messages from people they don't know, but often it's photos that could, or videos that could be used for purposes that are probably more dangerous than anything else. So I've become a lot more strict, especially with my daughter and what she's posting online about herself. So is there any other advice that you could give parents in this space? I'm a big believer in these apps that are now coming out where you can lock your children's phones. They also limit the amount of screen time they can have a week. Um, They determine what hours they can use the phone and literally everything disappears off their device so they can't access anything. I'm a very, very strong believer in downloading those for your kids. Wonderful. Now, you have played quite a vital role in a couple of other sort of startups, not-for-profits around the area and running their social media. Tell us a little bit about that and why you're doing it. This really excites me. So I was approached by the Chamber of Commerce of Coogee a few years ago about Tastes of Coogee and I came on board to run their social media and it's just a joy. It's one event and project every year that I really look forward to because it brings everything together. You have the community side, it's a family event and an all ages event. So it's not just for 
dance party or a music festival, even though it's got the music involved, you can either come for a drink, come for a picnic, come to buy food. It's not, it's not segmented to a particular audience, which I love. And the event now, it gets tens of thousands of people. So it's, it's really taken off into a world of its own. So Taste of Coogee is, I like to think, a bit of my baby when it comes to the marketing side. <laughs> I just adore it. And I love food and wine. Sheridan, I'm a huge reality TV show fan. Tell us a bit about The Single Wives. The Single Wives was an experience that I was not prepared for. Channel 7 with the production company Eureka Productions found me on Sugar Free Mum and I had recently gone through my second marriage separation and they found me on there and said, would you like to do a show about this? And to be fair, I actually did not know what I was getting myself into. However... I soon made three new best friends. So the show is all about the four of us who had gone through something in our lives that had ended our marriage. So we had a lady whose husband had passed away the day before she gave birth. We had Emma who was in a church marriage, so divorced for her. They were married at 18, divorced by their early 20s, but it was in the church. They don't like it when you divorce someone from Sunday school apparently. And then we had Sunny who was our Indian um, lady on the show, she's absolutely beautiful. But of course, in the Indian culture, again, divorce is very frowned upon. And then we had my story. So it was wonderful experience with the girls. We spent six weeks living in a house, it was about a $20 million house at Balmoral Beach. Everything was supplied, alcohol, food, you name it. And we had a ball. However, Reality TV editing is interesting. There are episodes that I've watched that I don't remember filming. And I don't remember saying certain things. So it's interesting how they overlay what you are saying in each episode. Um, but look, it has changed my life. It's opened up a lot of opportunities. I've been asked to do Married at First Sight twice since then, which I have said no to both times because A, my mother would die. And B, I was very vocal on The Single Wives about what I wasn't interested in. And I just know <laughs> that's what I'd be set up with. Because unfortunately, Marjorie, I don't have a poker face and I can't lie. And so it would be great TV to watch my face <laughs> and what I had to say. <laughs> but the, the actual whole experience of reality TV was fabulous. I, yeah, it was great. So do you have any advice for people thinking about going on a reality TV show? Don't overthink it. I went in completely blind to what I was getting myself into and – yeah, I think if you had some preconceived ideas, it wouldn't be natural. I was completely myself the whole time. Added a couple of bottles of wine, a lot of the shoots. But I was myself the whole time. It's funny in hindsight, I sometimes think, oh, I wish I hadn't done it because it completely severed ties with my second husband because I jumped on and told our whole story to Australia. However, it's now screened in Australia. I think we had three different seasons, New Zealand, Norway, it was massive, and now it's in Dubai. So it's still going 18 months later. And so for that, I'm forever grateful because it has opened up a lot of work for me. So you wouldn't go on Married at First Sight. Would you go on The Bachelor? Oh, God, no. I just find – why would you fight over a guy? Like I don't get it. I'd rather kill myself than fight over a man. So no, <laughs> it wouldn't work for me at all. Would you go on reality TV again? 
I would love to do a reality TV show about uh, first-generation Australians settling here and doing something cool in food. I would love to do that because through Taste of Coogee, we do get exposed to just some awesome people doing things that no one knows about. So if I was to do reality TV again, I think it would be something in food, definitely. Sheridan, as a single mother and just as a parent raising kids in the eastern suburbs, what do you see as the challenges for parents uh, raising kids in the area? Look, I'm constantly amazed at the freedom children have nowadays. I understand that parents are busy and we're all working and sort of in the eastern suburbs, let's face it, you kind of need to be working. But I'm amazed at the freedom children are given at such a young age. My daughter is turning 15 and some of her friends do whatever they like on the weekends and at night time and I've never, growing up, I never saw that. Um, so that's a challenge for me is to explain why to my children it's not happening. Um, social media, of course, there is this, there's this constant underpinning of competitiveness amongst teenagers in the East of who looks better, who's dating who, which school they're going to, what car they're getting when they get their L's. Like it's just ridiculous. It's a very competitive, competitive field really as a teenager in the area. And the other thing is um, there's still, I believe, a big issue with drugs with teenagers in the area. The accessibility is off the hook. They can get it anywhere. The alcohol, not so much because it's so strict now with RSA laws and, and getting in at places, but particularly the, the drugs are very, very easy for them to get their hands on. So I don't know what the solution is to that. Again, I don't know if it's something we're just more aware of because we're seeing it more and we're more exposed to it. But for me, that would be the three biggest challenges I face with my daughter at the moment. On that point about drugs, one of the issues that's been debated quite publicly uh, in the last 12 months is around amnesty bins at drug at festivals and drug or pill testing. Do you have an opinion on this? On a surface level, I completely agree with it because anything we can do to stop people harming themselves and taking something that they don't know where it's from or what's in it is because realistically that's what's happened many times. People have taken drugs and not known what it's made of and that's what's caused issues or death. As long as it's done in the right way, what I don't like to see is heavy-handed grabbing people that may or may not be carrying something. You often see that on the news. I don't agree with that, um, but I do agree with keeping an event safe and keeping people safe. If that's the only solution, then yes. It was different back in the 90s. We kind of knew where everything came from. So it's very different nowadays. So in essence, yes, I do agree with that. So I guess this just leads me to one more question then, which is what is your opinion on the quotas that have been placed on police to conduct a number of strip searches at festivals? I completely disagree with that. I think if they feel there's a requirement for them to do a, a search on anybody, great. But if it's purely to reach a certain number so they can report back to their bosses that they've done it, absolutely not. brings me back to the days of really – parking inspectors putting tickets on cars at lunchtime just to make enough money for the council back in the 90s. Yeah, I don't agree with it at all. Sheridan, changing gears now, I've got to ask you three questions before you go. Firstly, where is your favourite beach? 
definitely Wiley's Baths. I hate sand, so I love Wiley's Baths. Wonderful. Where is the best place to get coffee in the eastern suburbs? Because I used to own a cafe in Coogee, <laughs> I easily would have said that one. But now I love Lion and the Buffalo. I think they do beautiful coffee and really good food. Okay. And last question, where can you buy the best burger in the eastern suburbs? Hands down, Milky Lane. They're great for a hangover. They're loaded fries with those massive burgers and the kids love it there. So we go there a fair bit. Sheridan, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really wonderful and entertaining. Now, for those that are listening, can you just give us a little bit of a wrap up of the taste of Coogee and why they need to pop it in their diary? Sure. So Taste of Coogee this year is the first weekend in September. It is two days of food, family, fun, wine, beer, rides, the whole thing by the beach. Follow us on Taste of Coogee Festival for Facebook and Instagram. You'll see my face all over it as we start the campaign in March. And I look forward to seeing everybody there. Thank you, Sheridan. You've been listening to Coogee Voice.